This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? Clean sheet, I call it, is uh, one of the most important things in, in football. Nice to see Holt fans booing Emil Heskey, could it be five? Yes, it is! Paul Bowden to take it. Oh, and he's hit the crossbar! Gerard, it's Carroll! What a goal by the England striker! That's why he was brought in and he's done the job. Saved! John Pickford! Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh it happened! No! Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Quickly Kevin, the Euro Specials. I'm Chris Gold, joining me as always, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And fresh from backing the Dutch to raise the trophy... It's Michael Marden. <laughs> Hello. Look, we will come to that because I think there's certainly a discussion of viewing everything through a British lens, isn't there, with that Dutch game. But yeah. um, before that, uh, we should say we're going to talk about the tournament in general uh, today. We will be touching on uh, what's going to go on uh, tomorrow, don't worry. And uh, possibly, uh, I should add, that we're recording this in the last five minutes. I don't know why we thought we should do this. There's five minutes left in Belgium versus Portugal. What, what a stupid thing to do. So if you hear at any point me go, oh, or anything, that's because uh, I feel like I'm Charlie Nicholas on Soccer Saturday. <laughs> but, but we're all watching the game at different points. I think you're the furthest ahead, Josh, and then there's yeah. me about a minute behind, and then we think Michael's two. I'm at two on Portugal at the moment. <laughs> um, let's have the 90s o'clock news. 
headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scull. Matt Hancock has unlikely supporter <laughs> and how Steve Frogger met his wife. Now, of all the cast of 90s footballers and beyonds that you expect to come out in support of Matt Hancock after the terrible few days he's had, I would be looking, if I had to guess, looking at your Peter Shilton's. <laughs> oh, Peter, you'd be looking at... Uh, what, do you think you would be looking at Peter Shilton's or do you think Peter Shilton's too pious? I think you would, <laughs> but I think you'd have to wait a few more days before he came out in support of him. <laughs> he would say, he would look to see which way public opinion was going. <laughs> And then, and then join in. If it weren't Peter, if I was Matt Hancock and I was like, God, I really hope there's some 90s footballers coming out and support me. If it, and Shilton didn't say anything, my next stop would be Latiss. Yeah. See what he's saying. I'll tell you who I wouldn't pick is the man who's come out in support of him Trevor Sinclair, Tricky Trevor. Tricky Trevor. Tricky Trevor. <laughs> Trev. what, what did he do? Did he tweet, I never liked Oliver Bonus in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, he tweeted this at six thirty-eight PM. I thought when I when I saw this tweet, I was like, he's had a few drinks here, and he's yeah, tweeting. No, six thirty-eight is too early in the evening, surely. But anyway, yeah. he's tweeted. Strange how so many people buzz off next man getting sacked and his life in ruins. Strange. He's like, why are people so excited about it? Poor old Matt Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> What's he ever done to the country? What restrictions has he ever placed on you that he's then broken himself? <laughs> <laughs> Just a uh, Trev. Trent, the replies to it, I just sense. I mean, it's I know, I know, it's James Gill waded in. Yeah, James of this parish, James Gill waded in. Um, <laughs> Justin Morehouse is in there too. Uh, yeah, just pointing, just pointing out he hasn't been sacked. He's resigned because he's out of order. So, yeah, yeah. And you know the weird one as well. Uh, <laughs> my favourite reply comes from uh, another nineties act, the Artful Dodger, who says. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most favourited reply. Fuck off, Trevor! You helmet. This dude has ruined millions of lives. Four point six thousand likes, and uh, someone's replied the artful dodger. Didn't think the artful dodger did it like this, which is obviously amazing. Uh, back to that uh, one song, but um, brilliant. Thank you, Trevor, for back, back in Hancock. That is amazing. Absolutely superb. Well, that's a short story, Skull. Yeah. So surely we've got time for Steve Frogger, haven't we? Okay. All right, so, how Steve Frogger met his wife. So oh, I've got a story about Trevor Sinclair, actually. Have I ever told you this? Um, I was once at Alton Towers, and I saw Trevor Sinclair with his wife and two tiny kids. But his kids were so small, right, that I thought, well, there's no way. Neither of them are big enough for, for a ride. They're like, they were like, one was in a pram and one was three or whatever, yeah? So neither of them were big enough to go on a ride, and you couldn't leave them unattended. So essentially, you're in a situation where Trevor or his wife, Trevor's the only one going on the rides. Because <laughs> his wife's got to look after the kid, and then his wife's got to queue up separately while Trevor looks after the kids. It's an untenable family to take to Alton Towers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so there we go. Trevor Sinclair's just living life differently, isn't he? He's a, he's a bit like Steve Jobs. Is he just like a way ahead of his time? He's, he, he's playing like 3D chess with the world. He's just... Why it's so advanced that we think he's crazy? Yeah, well, that's the thing about Trevor Sinclair. That's and let's be honest, um, he's had a great career. Uh, I'd say he has to be. He goes down as the classic late call up. If ever there's a mention of a late call up to talking of you know bring it back to the Euros, if ever there's a mention of a late call up to an international tournament, Trevor Sinclair 2002 is the absolute classic reference point. I'd say 
I wonder if you could do like, uh, is it Moneyball the film about baseball where they just yeah about Billy Bean yeah about like, they they kind of they just have a really deep analytical look at the game and just get loads of amazing players just by looking at the analytics. Like Trevor Sinclair had no right to be in that 2002 squad, but he was he was brilliant. Like, and we've got an England team now that's made up of who we all kind of agree are the best players. But what if there was like a Moneyball approach? We're actually you're just grabbing a guy from League One who's really good at this kind of thing, and we're not picking Andy Carroll, Chris. <laughs> we're not picking Mark Noble. Give it up. What if there was a, a guy? Maybe he's in Newcastle, shoulder length hair. <laughs> he's just deadly in the box with his head. What if? Let's hear about. Um, let's hear about Steve Frogger. Okay, so Aston Villa. We haven't got time, to... Chris. We haven't got time. Oh, oh, we'll have to do it. Okay, we'll do. We'll move on to next week. I was just <laughs> going to start. I, I was going to start telling the story and see when you uh, stopped me. Well, that was when. That was when. <laughs> I gave nothing away there. Got two no. words in. Yeah. <laughs> Let's have the electronic post back. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. I know I keep doing these guys, but people coming up with new rules for football really does entertain me. And uh, wouldn't this be a brilliant introduction to the Euros? Chris Payne. Hello, Quickly Kevin team. Listening to your Euros episodes recently has brought back an old memory of an unusual rule change, a six-a-side tournament I played in as a child, which, if enforced in the Euros, would prevent England losing to Germany on penalties. As a 12-year-old, my youth team were invited to play in an end-of-season six-a-side tournament. My team managed to reach the semi-final, which finished nil-nil. This is where the changes were put into effect. Extra time would be played out with a golden goal style, where the first team who scores wins. But if there was still no goal after five minutes, the goalkeepers from both teams were removed from the pitch. Yes. Yes. I love this. Yeah, I'm already in. And the game continued. If there's still no score, a player from each team would be removed every two minutes until a goal was scored. I should just say, he says, they finally won the game after four players from each team leaving it as a two-on-two. Two-on-two. <laughs> were those players that were left once a goalkeeper goes off, are they allowed to be a sort of like rush kind of spider keeper or is no one allowed to handball it? No, I think there's no goalies. Right. <laughs> How does that impact? the? What's your, what's your tactics when your goalies have been removed? I think you then... Well, I, I presume you're leaving a man on the line as a sort of last line of defence, even if he can't handle the ball. He can sort yeah. of use his legs, chest, head, etc. But you're just looking at long shots, surely. Anyone that's got half a shot on them from half a distance is is firing that one in. It would be so exciting, wouldn't it, as the players leave the pitch? Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe it got down to two on two. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's mad. How long is that? How long have they gone without scoring? Eight minutes, is that right? Yeah, four players removed, so... Eight minutes or six minutes, six minutes. I can't. The, yeah. the standard there has to be either incredibly high or incredibly low to go that far <laughs> without scoring a goal. It's either like Baresi and Maldini or just the yeah. worst kind of under nines level. What would be exciting would be to add that you pick the opposition's player to go each time. Yes. Because then in the end, you'd really. You'd presumably pick attackers straight off the bat, wouldn't you? Yeah. What you really want is John Stones and Harry Maguire <laughs> left against <laughs> Matt Hummels and whoever their other centre-backs are. Like, that would be the exciting kind of uh, game, wouldn't it? How far do you think it would get? Well, I guess, like, the more it goes on and the fewer attacking creative players are there, the more likely the game is to go on and on. Because you suddenly got a sort of game, like a playground game of, like, World Cup 
where it's Harry Maguire versus Mads Hummels, neither of whom are any good at attacking, both of whom are very good at defending. So it's sort of like you're never going... Harry Maguire is never going to beat a German defender as an attacker and then vice versa. But if you're one-on-one and you're a professional footballer, right? So say it gets down to Harry Maguire versus Mads Hummels, yeah? Imagine the pressure and the the excitement. Harry Maguire gets possession in his own goal area, right? So Harry Maguire's got a goal kick, which presumably you're allowed to pass yourself for this situation. I mean, imagine if you're not. Um, (laughs) All right, you're not. So what happens is Mats Hummels has a goal kick. He can't pass to himself. So the only thing he can do is take as long a kick as possible, right? So that Harry Maguire gets possession in his own area. What is your tactic as Harry Maguire at that point? I think it's a bit like the sort of guy in the NFL who catches the punts, isn't it? <laughs> you're you're going to collect the ball, and I think you're just charging up the field, surely, because you want that momentum. You want to be charging at him with the ball at full pace. Yes. There's no way you could try and pass to yourself over 50 yards. Well, you're not allowed to touch him what... until he touches it, I presume. Well, yeah, It'd I mean... be like a line out in rugby, isn't it? You've got, to, you've got to be able to boot it out for a throw-in for the opposition high up the pitch. No? Yeah. But then they can't throw it to themselves, so they've got to throw it back to you. I mean, the whole thing falls apart when there's only one player <laughs> left on the pitch. Speaking of rule changes, I was thinking, you know, we've been discussing our manager, like the managers stand in a circle after the group stages and you pick the teams you want to play. A new dynamic I thought about was that if you if you're in a really strong position and you pick a team and then lose, you've got you've got to face the criticism of why you selected that team to play. Oh my god, yeah. In the press conference. So it's not only that like, you've engineered your own defeat, really. Yeah. So again, it adds another layer of intrigue. You almost don't want to be a picker, do you? You almost don't want to be forced to pick in this at that situation. There's there's a lot of pressure on you there. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. You want them to pick you because you know, for example, today's matches. I would argue, if you're the Netherlands manager, you're happy with the pick of the Czech Republic. Like you, yeah. your, your favourites going into that game, when you've just been knocked out two 0 Oh my yeah. word! Yeah, it's great, I, isn't it? It's such a good rule. It's the best rule we've ever would had. Would you? Anyway. Would you do? Would you do? If you're the manager, would you do a kind of Eurovision style country vote situation, so that you're kind of passing the buck? The people of Britain have chosen to face Switzerland. I mean, people of England. Sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry. It feels like um, <laughs> last time we did that, it went quite badly. <laughs> Paddy Donlon writes, Hi guys, really enjoyed uh, the recent episode. And while discussing the increased subs of the Euros with friends, I thought of an element of WWF that could work well. Yeah, your ears pricked up. Yes, you've got my attention. Going forward, managers are still allowed five subs. However, they have no control over which player goes off or comes on. If they decide to make a sub, it's now a game of risk. The substitute wait in the changing room, and if their number is generated, they have to run down the tunnel to enter the game in the style of wrestlers entering the Royal Rumble. (laughs) (laughs) This also potentially eliminates the use of subs to waste time at the end of games, because no one would do it, and adds real element of jeopardy stroke chaos to proceedings. What do you think? So how does it work? You don't know. Explain to me how this works. You say, we're 60 minutes. We need a change. We're going to have a sub. And then I think you should be able to choose who comes off, but you don't know yeah. which of your five players is going to come on. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, because he's suggesting what the whole thing's around. You just go, we need a sub. Yeah, but you would like, never, do, you would never do that. Off. You would never do that. How do you think yeah. that would then impact the sort of bigger squad selection and sort of uh, substitute selection? Because I think there's an argument that 
you very rarely make defensive substitutions or you would make less of them under that system because you're you're often making changes to try and affect the game positively or try and sort of claw a goal back. So there's a world in which you end up naming or stacking the subs with more attacking players yeah. which shorten the odds of getting an attacking player. Oh, yeah, but if, I see. But say, for instance, Harry Maguire gets injured in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, but there's always a world in which if you were defending, you'd still go, all of my subs are going to be better than my most luxury player, than Jack Grealish. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Even if I were to bring on Dominic Calvert-Lewin, maybe it's it's at worst a similar situation. Do you know what I mean? I think then if you're a utility player, you know, you're Phil Neville's, you're, you're Luis Enrique's, you, you've got a strong chance of being selected in the squad for that very reason because you yeah. need to make a change. You're bringing off an injured midfielder or fullback and suddenly your sub is Jamie Vardy and you're playing four up front. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you put Vardy at right back or do you just go, do you know what? We're going to have to switch the system up here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's quite exciting. It's an exciting way of doing it. Andrew Jones, hi all. I was recently watching highlights of Bolivia versus Uruguay in a desperate attempt to get my heroin football fix during the days off of Euro 2021. And the commentator said something that immediately stuck out to me as a quickly Kevin mad fact stroke discussion point. The highlights showed the Bolivian team making two absolutely banging long range efforts. After the second long range shot, the commentator said, of course, the Bolivian team are very good at long range shots. The air density at La Paz is much higher than at sea level, and that can really affect the ball's flight. And this got me thinking of the QK trope of free kick stroke throw in stroke volley specialists. So are we allowing, along with Mark Hughes' volleys and the other specialists that we had, Chilavez free kicks, all Bolivians are good at long shots because in La Paz, the air quality allows better long shots. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think that sounds like complete bollocks, right? There probably is some... Not from Andrew Jones, I mean from the commentator. Yeah, there's, there's almost certainly some science behind the physics of it, but that's to imply that everyone has the technique required to strike that long shot effectively and cleanly. And, and, and if that was true and that did affect things, I think, isn't there an argument that, say, in indoor stadiums, you could control the... Uh, air pressure or like whatever affects it within an indoor stadium and then sort of pump in or remove a certain level of oxygen to to adjust it to favor your team like a really advanced version of what john beck would do with the grass and the sand (laughs) actually like if you if your stadium is completely indoors you can control every aspect of the the pressure yeah yeah. Yeah. and have your team be the only team almost doing like altitude training so like 60 minutes in the opposition team, they're all like exhausted and out of breath because your guys have basically yeah. spent pre-season at the uh, Kilimanjaro base camp. They've all been conditioned. <laughs> well, it also brings to mind something that I it feels like doesn't happen anymore, which I used to really enjoy the start of every major tournament. Uh, the discussion that the balls were too light yeah. and it was affecting people's free kicks. That does That used to happen. Throughout the 90s and 2000s, it felt like every international tournament, why are there no free kicks scored? The balls are too light and the players just can't control it. That was such a mad thing, isn't it? That is so crazy that that was happening. Like, how how can you fuck with the ball? Like, how can you be changing it to create that? Like, it was happening consistently, wasn't it? It was happening every international tournament. Every international (laughs) tournament, the balls are too light. They moved too much in the air. 
but they've kind of just figured it out now, have they? They've worked out how to make a football. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Making a football, yeah, it's done. Or I wonder whether they just get the balls, the tournament balls, further in advance now, so the players are are more used to sort oh, of playing with it and training with it. Because it often felt like during a match, it was like the first time. You know, like I don't know if you had this when you played youth football, like you'd train all week with your local team with like the shit cheap footballs and you turn up on match day and it was like the sort of prestigious hundred pound mitre delta that they'd get out of this sort of locked case. And it was so much heavier than any ball you ever played with like all week <laughs> that it took you, it took you 20 minutes to get used to it. Like the goalkeepers could barely clear the area. Like it was a man's ball in a, in a child's world. Yeah. <laughs> in, um, yeah. In, my, in my school, they banned leather footballs from the playground. Because I think someone broke their leg or something. So for like three years in the playground, we only played with foam footballs. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, were you really good like when the no. Brazilians play on um, <laughs> on the beach and they, they get better because they play? I with think that. it inhibited. I think that's why I never made it as a professional football or indeed at any level because I was just playing with foam footballs. I couldn't couldn't adjust to the leather world. Adjust to the leather world. Um, Thank you for your emails. Um, It's always a pleasure to read them. This is how to get in touch. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. So I guess we should probably start by talking about um, the end of Wales in a footballing sense, at this tournament. They're, they're off. They're back, they're back home. 4-0 Wales versus Denmark. Um, it was sad to see them go. I, uh, I heard Ellis James on a rival podcast and he sounded genuinely quite pissed off. <laughs> to the point where you're like, oh, I thought, well, it, it, I suppose that's the thing. Even when you reach what you consider your par score, the day of the defeat feels disappointing. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say round of 16... Well, he said on it that was what he was hoping for, you know, was round of 16. They got it. Even if England lost in the semifinals on the day, I'd be disappointed. But I'd then make my peace, I suppose, quite quickly with it. Um, Are you excited for Denmark? Have you ever loved a team as much as you love this Danish team? Or am I just existing in a romantic reverie? The the one thing I've really noticed about this tournament, and fair play to them, the, the Danish and the Dutch... All their supporters wear the shirt. Have you noticed that? So de- when they're playing in Denmark, like the whole the stand, everybody yeah. is there in a Danish shirt. It looks shirt. great, doesn't it? It looks great. And the Dutch nail it. And when you watch England, it's like we're all over the place. There's all kinds yeah. of pe- people denim jackets on. You're like, wear the people shirt. denim jackets Surely. on. Surely. I love that about the Danish. Yeah. I love that about those games in Copenhagen they've played, especially their last group game. It was sensational to watch that. That's exactly what you want. Just on Wales, I just feel like the last couple, like the last three years, I guess, or going back to, to Euro 2016, it's been such a heroic story from them. And they're like, you kind of thought you knew how this narrative would go. And it was yesterday we thought, even if they lost, it would be a heroic defeat. But to get absolutely slammed like that, it just didn't feel like... I don't know, it didn't feel right, did it? It doesn't it, feel what, right. What was I expecting? I, I understand Ellis's disappointment because it was just, uh, you know, they got I, smashed, really. I, I think there is that thing, isn't there, that you always presume international tournaments will end up with a heroic defeat. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. tomorrow England lose 3-0 to Germany, it won't feel right, will it? Even when we lost 4-1 to Germany... There was that the ghost goal, yeah, so that there was it had tragedy to hang on to. Yeah, you want some element of tragedy, some element of unfairness to it, don't you? You want a you want a moment where you can go, oh, 
that's you know that's the tragedy that we were yeah, unlucky exactly there. exactly um michael do you love denmark um i wouldn't say i love them i think we're we're dating and i like them but i'm sort of i'm gonna see <laughs> see how it goes before i say the magic words if england didn't win the tournament would you want denmark to win it i think it's between them and italy and I, and I think as the tournament goes on, uh, depending on how Denmark do, but I, I would slightly favour Italy at this stage for, for footballing reasons rather than uh, sentimental human reasons. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I was just going to point out, so we had Italy-Austria yesterday. Obviously, Italy, they got to they got to 90 minutes of nil-nil with Austria, but then they pulled away. But the, the thing that I've become obsessed with is the Viali and Mancini bromance. The bromance. I of didn't the know summer. Viali was there until yesterday. I love it. Do you know as well? So they're they're busy mates for is it Sampdoria thing? Yeah, they used to be a strike partnership. Isn't and, that um, so incredible? Good if, if York and Cole managed a team together, it'd be brilliant. You see them celebrating, hugging the pictures. I just can't get enough. Do you know as well? Viali's been suffering from pancreatic cancer the last. He's all clear now, but he uh, he's been suffering from that for eighteen months. And obviously, pancreatic cancer has like quite a low survival rate. Mm. So Viali's had. What a turnaround to like to oh, go wow. from that now, to his now best mate. Me. Now you're getting me. His want, best mate want putting him in that position in the dugout. He's come through and look at the smile on his face after what he's been through with his brother. Yeah, Mancini. Oh my god, I can't, can't. And they both look fantastic in those suits. I cannot get enough of it. Inject if if Italy were to beat us in the final, whenever we we play them, I kind of wouldn't. That would be well, some consolation. Germany, but yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think also. I think the Holland. Defeat to the Czech Republic does naturally bring us round to the England Germany game because Holland's defeat to the Czech Republic, yes, Czech Republic aren't rubbish, but England have already beaten them. It does even further open up the draw for England and it does even further ratchet up the pressure on tomorrow night. Did Holland losing to Czech Republic? make you feel even more nervous about the Germany game? Or was that just me only seeing things through that filter? So much more nervous. And, you know, you should never look beyond the game in front of you. I understand that. But we're all human. We're doing it. We're going to do it. If we beat Germany, we have got the best path to the final of the Euros I think we could ever hope for. I can't believe how high the stakes are tomorrow. Like, it's it's insane. We had been discussing uh, prior to coming on air about trying to get tickets to go to that game. But just just so you're aware, live announcement on air, I have just got an email confirming that we have got tickets for the England-Germany game. So we will be there in the stadium. Oh, my God. It's once in a lifetime, isn't it? How are you feeling about that? How are you feeling about the half full Wembley? It's 45,000, isn't it? So that will feel pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think so. Is is this the biggest football match fans. you've ever been to? Yes, comfortably. And I was there for the semi-final against Croatia. But this, this, you think this is bigger than the World Cup semi-final? Yeah, I think so. I didn't think we'd ever win the World Cup, but it feels like if we beat Germany, we could, we really could win the Euros. Can I just say a couple of things? I got a text uh, from uh, uh, my cousin-in-law, and he said, um, "There's no more inspirational speech than Friday's quickly, Kevin." listened to it in the car on the way home and had to put three lines on straight after. Hashtag believe. That's what we want <laughs> to hear. And he said, but also hashtag being grimly realistic. No, um, <laughs> no, no, no. Get rid of that bit. Get rid of that garbage. Like we, we need to believe. Buy into it, guys. It's not going to make any difference to the result, but just buy into it for once. Just dare to dream. I just wow. think it's going to be 
unbelievably exciting. Uh, this is madness, right? So um, as you two are aware, I've uh, just finished writing a book about the 90s, which is available for pre-order now. But the interesting thing about this is one of the chapters is about Euro 96. And um, it ends by talking about the 2018 World Cup and feeling like we will never win a major tournament. And on Friday, I phoned the editor and I was like, what are we going to do when England win the Euros? Because <laughs> this book is out in September, but we're just finishing the changes next week. So how are we going to deal with the situation? I'm now worried that the whole book is going to feel dated and wrong because because England are going to do it. The one time when I didn't need it to happen, and it's happening. You're going to have to figure out the cost of slipping in a little card into that page that every book sold, just correcting. <laughs> yeah, and little note, obviously I fully believe we were going to win the Euros. Oh, hope is a strange <laughs> thing. How are you feeling, Skull? Oh, it's going to be weird being there, isn't it? It's like, this is oh, such a monumental moment. So excited to be able to say we're going to be there for it. But man alive, the tension. I'm already tense sitting here Sunday night, Tuesday, 5pm in Wembley. The anthems, oh my God. <sighs> Here's a question. How do you feel about... Uh, Say what you will about Gareth Southgate's tactics, but he's very good at relaxing the team. And one of the things he did was he hired, or I don't know if he paid, but he booked Ed Sheeran to perform for the team. And um, Ed Sheeran performed. He also, he did a cover of Three Lions during his performance. A lovely touch. He performed outside, but Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell were put in their isolation room. They were given isolation rooms that could overlook it so they could watch out of their windows. Like they had a flat at Leighton Orient. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of Ed Sheeran's music, but I suppose if you're there, it reminded me a bit of, do you remember the show Castaway 2000? Where um, they put, it's where Ben Fogel became famous. They put like 30 people on a remote oh, yeah. Scottish <gasps> island. Yeah. Oh my God. This is one of my favourite ever clips on YouTube. Do you know are what you this about, is? Is you going to talk about, is it Feeder? No, it's Dodgy. Dodgy, that's so, it. I was going so to It's a, a year-long thing. It, it was like a bit of a precursor, not a precursor to Big Brother, but it was a thing where 30 people go and live on an island. It's like, how does it, what's it like to build your own society, right? And then halfway through, boat turns up and it's got the band Dodgy on it and they offer to perform a gig for them. And these people have had no entertainment for six months. And they have a, a vote and they say no. They decide yeah. against Dodgy performing what? a gig. Why? Well, they think Dodgy, they think they're there just to get free publicity. Some, some are talking, they're torn down the middle. They're like, oh, well, ultimately it's a band. We could go watch the band play. We haven't had any interaction with the outside world. But then they're like, but other half are like, they're just coming here to use us for their own publicity. And then they get wind that they've got some sort of uh, producer from BBC Radio One there with them, is it? Oh, right. And, I don't um, remember. And so then they all then decide, look, they are here for the publicity. Dodgy, get off the island. So Dodgy, <laughs> having, get off the turned island. up on a boat with all their equipment, have to then get back on the boat and sail <laughs> off. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and I think that was probably the last time they were on BBC television. That, that was the same, <laughs> Dodgy on a boat crossing the horizon. <laughs> Would you have voted for or against the performance by Dodgy? <laughs> I ask myself that a lot. I'd definitely vote for. I'd love to know the psychology of why they why they said they want an odd hill to die on. Because they were trying to, they were, I think they were being really puritanical about their experience. Like they wanted to be left alone and they didn't want to kind right. of just show people that they, they, 
if anyone wanted publicity, they could come up and just use them. Like they were like, no, yeah, this isn't. No, that makes sense. Before thing. you know it, you've got ocean colour scene turning up. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like it would end up like one big live aid. Yeah, not the fucking blue tones. <laughs> Turn off the lighthouse. We don't want any boats coming across. Yeah, it's just the long pigs rowing over on a kayak. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously there's echoes of Ed Sheeran with Nigel Kennedy, with the violin, Talia 90, but with uh, Peter Beardsley looking on, completely bemused. Nigel Kennedy's a strange thing to me because he was a very popular figure, but he didn't seem to have any sort. I didn't really understand why he'd transcended violin and become such a big thing in our childhood yeah. that he played for the England team. Not played for the England team. <laughs> played. <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking about Nigel Clough. <laughs> um, he played violin for the England team. But there was that period, remember Vanessa May as well, where for some reason sort of classical musicians seemed to punch through into the kind of popular music. But I, what's interesting about the Nigel Kennedy thing is that um, I don't imagine the England squad would have sort of been aware of him or wanted him to play. Whereas at least you feel with Ed Sheeran, everyone knows who Ed Sheeran is. He's one yeah, of the biggest artists in the world. star, isn't it? Yeah. Like Gareth Southgate's not gone. Good news, I've got some Vincent. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he's gone. Everyone there is aware, at least aware of who Ed Sheeran is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it a good omen or a bad omen? Well, you know that... Uh, in 1966, uh, Alf Ramsey uh, got, um, it's not very well known, but he actually got the animals to perform, didn't he? They performed <laughs> as the rising sun for the team. Um, I, think, I think in all seriousness, what it is, is a great example of Gareth Southgate's ability to try and do the opposite of what Fabio Capello did in 2010. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, they didn't even have ketchup, did they? That was the classic thing. In 2010... They were so bored. Do you remember this story? They got so bored that Wayne Rooney and Jermaine Defoe watched Wayne Rooney's wedding I was, video. I was thinking and Jermaine about that Defoe the other day. hadn't even been invited to the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who um, Wayne Rooney got to play at the reception? Oh, uh, the f- stereophonics, presumably? Yeah, the stereophonics, yeah. I only know that because he's got a stereophonics tattoo, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Just enough education to perform, isn't it? Yeah. I thought about that the other day. Like, how does that ha- Imagine being so bored. What they're doing is hanging out in the room and waiting for any... 2010, is that VHS? No, that'd be DVD then, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, has he got it on DVD or has he got it burned onto his computer? He's got a DVD. I don't know. Maybe he's got a quick time. Apparently they had, like, a games room. I was reading an article on all the different... But Capello and his, te- and his Franco Baldini and all those lot, like his backroom staff, we're using the games room quite a lot, so the players didn't want to play ping pong with Fabio Capello. So they kind of all just stayed in their hotel rooms. So I think Gareth Southgate's done well there. He's done well there. Um, look, we can talk about England v Germany till we are, you know, well, we, we haven't got anything else to say. But what I really <laughs> want to say on it is it is tomorrow. This is the last time we'll be recording beforehand. How do you think it will go? We haven't done predictions on this, but what I mean is, Genuinely, what do you believe is going to happen when you close your eyes at night? Uh, it, I, if I'm honest, penalty shootout defeat. That's not what I want. I'd, I would love. Imagine if we ran away with it. Imagine if it was like when we the Dutch game at Euro '96. There was part of me earlier today that thought I could just see us quite calmly winning this two 0 but I can't escape what I've lived through. 
in my life, which is England never winning these games. Just never, ever winning these games. And yeah. so if I had to bet my life on it, I'd presume we are going to lose because we always do. But should we win? Like, well, The other thing that blows my mind is we've got the England versus Germany tomorrow. We win that. There's still three more games to play if we were to win it. Do you know what I mean? There's still so much tournament ahead of us. But it does feel like this is, it's like we keep saying, big, such a sliding doors moment. You know, people keep saying that, oh, the tournament's not really taken off. I want a bit more jeopardy. Within four days, the way the draw's <laughs> fallen, the way the people we've got, suddenly you're going... This is a little too much jeopardy yeah. at this point in the tournament. This is, this is... Were, were this a screenplay, I'd say you've overloaded as a second act, guys. Like we need to sort <laughs> of save some of this for the for the back end. What do you think, Michael? Well, just talking about this, my hands have started getting all clammy. Like that's that's how nervous I am. Uh, I think I, what I would like to happen for the narrative and the exercising of demons is I would like us to win on penalties. What I think will happen is that we'll win 3-1 quite comfortably. <laughs> I think it'll be cagey to start with, one all. I think we'll go 2-1 ahead. I think they'll have to come at us, and I think we'll pick them off on the break, and we'll close it out. And this is the dawn of a new era. My God. Oh, my word. My God, imagine. imagine. Fingers crossed. Now, in an attempt to kind of, you know, move our karmic dial so that England win, Michael, you have the classic quickly Kevin prize giveaway. We've got a whole bundle of great prizes to win today. Basically, what I've done is I've put every Patreon member's name into a giant supercomputer. I press a button and names are drawn at random to see who wins the prizes. First up, we've got five Letters for Town mugs to be won by QK Fan Club members. So if you hear your name when the wheel stops spinning, get in touch and we'll get your mug sent out to you. And the winner is Andrew Charles, Madeline Eaton, James Webb, Brett Foley, James Quigley. So congratulations to Andrew Charles, Madeline Eaton, James Webb, Brett Foley and James Quigley. You've each won a mug. Next up, we've got a fantastic Euro 96 themed bundle to be won. Uh, we've got our hands on a Euro 96 t-shirt signed by 90s legend and former guests of the show, Darren Anderton, as well as, and this might be my favourite prize, uh, if you remember Gaza's iconic dentist chair celebration where they squirt the water bottle into his mouth, well, we've got one of those iconic yellow fair play water bottles to be won. And we'll also throw in a Lettersford Town mug as well. So if the supercomputer reads out your name, the prizes are yours. And the winner is Alexander Lawless. Congratulations, Alexander Lawless. The signed uh, Darren Anderson t-shirt, Euro 96 Fair Play water bottle and Letters for Town mug are yours. And finally, 
the big one we've got another fair play water bottle another letters for town mug and a whopping hundred pound to spend at classicfootballshirts.co.uk on anything you please a perfect way to treat yourself to a vintage 90s shirt to wear on england's inevitable journey to the final And the winner is Benjamin Appleby. Congratulations, Benjamin Appleby. Uh, Drop us an email and we'll get those prizes sent out to you. And even more news for our patrons from Michael. Yes, uh, a quick update on the uh, Championship Manager 97-98 Euro 96 tournament we promised. It is coming. We're sorry for the delay. Uh, Basically, we just underestimated A, the volume of work involved, and B, how difficult it would be to sync everyone's diaries. Uh, There's still a chance to be eligible for the competition. We'll be drawing and announcing the teams on Thursday, the 1st of July, with uh, fixtures arranged shortly after. And anybody who is a Patreon member before that date will be in the chance of being picked to play the game and win some great prizes to the best and worst players and teams. Also, on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, our Patreon episodes are available. XJ8 Patreon members get uh, the bonus episodes. Uh, go over to patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin to get those episodes. Wednesdays promises to be either the best or worst episode we've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) The stakes couldn't be higher. The stakes couldn't be higher for the podcast. Right, we're going to end with a game of starting 11. Right, so yeah, in honour of uh, tomorrow's game, England versus Germany, I thought we would look back and uh, the matching question is the last time that England faced Germany, which was in, a, in an international friendly on the 10th of November 2017. I don't even remember this game. What was the score? Uh, the score was nil-nil. And mm. as a little little hint, England set up in a, I'm going to say a 5-3-2. Okay. And Germany were in a, a three, four, two, one. Uh, Josh, would you like to pick first? Okay. Harry Kane. Oh, oh come on! Incorrect. Oh my god! It's the shortest ever game. Um, twenty seventeen. I'd say uh, to give you both a little clue. This might be unfair on you, Josh, but it's. I'd say a slightly experimental first eleven. There are there are players in there you will be surprised. It's no help. John Stones. Correct. Deli Alley. The Forgotten Man. Oh no. <laughs> Incorrect. Oh well that's wow. the end of that. Unbelievable. What a damn script. Let's hope England v Germany isn't like this. <laughs> uh, Chris. Do I have to name yeah, you have to too? name for the win. Oh man, this is tricky. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm just trying. I think it, like, there's so many right backs knocking around. I think Kyle Walker is old enough to see. He, he would have been secure in 2017. I'm gonna go Kyle Walker. Uh, Kyle Walker was a substitute, and he came <sighs> on. 
because I'm going to have to pick again. Yep, so you need to pick again. So who's a, who is he? Kieran Trippier? Correct. Oh. Oh. Let's have that team. I'm interested. So the England team. Uh, in goal, Jordan Pickford. The back five. Uh, Trippier, Phil Jones, John Stones, Harry Maguire, and Danny Rose. Uh, the three-man midfield was uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Eric Dyer, and Jake Livermore. Fucking hell. Jake what Livermore. a trio that I is. Know. And then up Fuck front, me. up front, Tammy Abraham and Jamie Vardy. Tammy Abraham in 2017? Yeah. Subs bench was Carl uh, Walker, Joe Hart, Ryan Bertrand, Joe Gomez, Michael Keane, Jack Cork, Ashley Young, Marcus Rashford, Jesse Lingard, and Gary Cahill. You can't argue that Southgate hasn't really remade the team. Is he manager then? Yeah, because it's not Big Sam's only game, so he is definitely manager. Yeah. Uh, then German team in goal, Ter Stegen. The defence is Rudiger, Hummels, and Ginter. Midfield, uh, Holstenberg, Gundogan, Meza Ozil, and Kimmich. And then the two attacking midfielders, Leroy Sane and Julian Draxler, and up front, Timo Werner. Even then? Blimey. Oh, wow. Well, there we go. Let's hope that uh, England v Germany is more exciting than that game of starting 11. But just look how much better the team is now than that. Mad, isn't it? Yeah. Fingers crossed. Chris, would you like to uh, pick a suitable song to play out the end of the show in the build-up to England versus Germany? There's only one choice, really, isn't there? There is only one choice. I'm not going to go for it. It's the, like I'm gonna actually going to go for I'm going to go for you, you. got You offered such rousing speeches last time. I'm not going to go with the rousing speech. I'm just going to go with the most rousing piece of music this country has ever produced. Jerusalem, England, Germany, Wembley, a European Championship knockout round. This is it. This is the moment we live for as a football fan. Can England finally do it? Let's find out. We'll be there. And we'll have that episode out on Wednesday. Oh, boy, it doesn't get any bigger. We'll see you on Patreon on Wednesday. Until then, Robbie Slater, see you later.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.